And you're very welcome to Wade In as we look back on the weekend that was in the world of horse racing. All your questions answered as well, plus one or two topics that we're going to have to delve deep into. If you read the Sunday papers, you might know what I'm talking about. All in the company of Mr. Kevin Blake. Kev, you're back in your car park, touting for business. How's it form? Yeah, business is slow, as you, as you might have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up at Goffs for the week, so yeah, I've retreated to the car park to join the crowd of lunatics. So, like, yeah. can, you, can you tell when you go into a car park how, how the trade's going to be, Kev, or <laughs> you see what happens? Yeah, sure. Or Look, Hugh, it's, it's experience. You know, once you, once you get enough experience in this game, you can just pick up the vibes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mr. Calvin, you're well? Uh, I'll be a bit better when he spins a camera around to see what the car box uh, yeah, yeah, just about to give him. Oh, look, here we go. Here we go. The caliber, the caliber of clientele. You can always tell about the, the registers on the cars. And delighted <laughs> to welcome uh, for the first time, the first of many, we hope, to Vanessa Royal. Vanessa, how are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you, Hugh. Thanks for having me along. You know, nice lightweight podcast to get me started. I feel well, lucky go. about yeah. that. Yeah, sorry, well, pal Vanessa, that. we're back together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, reunited <laughs> at last. It's been a long road coming and reunited with Kevin. I'm glad to have him on board. Tony, you know, I'm, I'm excited about our future <laughs> podcast recording together and Hugh, it's, it's a pleasure to be alongside you. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Vanessa, you've obviously been reflecting on your life and decided that you've just had it too easy and life is too 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 enjoyable at the moment. So how do I mess things up for myself and make life more difficult? <laughs> I come on and talk, argue with Kevin Blake and Tony Calvin about horse racing. That's the way to Quite, do it. Well, I, t- exactly. I tell you, you, you can never be sure. You can never be sure, but I'd make it a one-on-one shot that Vanessa and you will get on very well. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking Two forward to it. lunatics. Yeah, and I wish, I wish, I, I did wish that we, we, you know, we had a, a bit of a lighter note to jump into. But look, guys, the story dictates from the weekend, and you would have all read the Sunday papers yesterday and the Racing Post. Um, about the story uh, involving a, a therapist by the name of John Warwick, who the Department of Agriculture, just to break it down quickly over here, the Department of Agriculture arrived at a yard in Kildare last Tuesday, along with three members of Garda Siakona, which is the Irish police force, um, to question John Warwick about substances that were later examined in the boot of his car. Um, there were a couple of Irish trainers present at the time of this visit, and they have since had to, I guess, explain the reasons for their visit to the yard. But Kevin, the upshot of this is that the substances that have been taken from John Warwick are being examined at the moment. We don't know uh, what the test results will show up, but what we do know is that um, he had to answer several questions, and this has been painted in a pretty grim light by some of the Sunday papers over the last uh, 48 hours. Yeah, there's lots and lots and lots to go through on this. You, I'm wary of rambling now, but um, like you say, there, yeah, there has been there has been an atmosphere around this issue, obviously for quite some time, well over a year, and people have seized upon this story. It's a very concerning story. And um, like John Warwick, very well known guy, both sides of the Irish Sea for the work he does with horses. Um, he spends most of his time in Britain. You know, he comes over to Ireland to do this clinic one or two days every fortnight, and it seems that they. There have been people keeping an eye on it. Um, there's been an ongoing investigation and it culminated in this raid um, last Tuesday, as you mentioned. Um, the thing is, we, we don't know what they found and we presumably won't know for quite some time. And that's the key here, um, because John Warwick has already made some, some admissions, um, speaking to the Racing Post the other day, in that he did have some medications um, in his possession that he shouldn't have had. Um, you know, there's been mentioned of mentions of unlicensed, um, unauthorized, banned, etc. All words that are quite explosive connotations. But um, look, th- there is a context here that hasn't really been been fleshed out yet, and that is the the medication laws in Ireland. Um, they're the strictest in Europe by a mile. Um, they're set up by the Department of Agriculture to protect our food industry, which is vital. And if you talk to any equine vet in Ireland, it drives them absolutely cracked. They have a very limited range of medications that they're permitted to use that are licensed in Ireland. And occasionally, um, and we have in, in cases that in recent years that have touched upon racing, we you do come across cases where vets will be found and equine professionals will be found in possession of unlicensed medications. And Again, that sounds 
quite quite explosive and, and people will put a spin on it. But in the majority of the cases that I've come across that have played out in the courts, it's it, it it's not nearly as nasty as it seems. Um, it, it's medications that you could that vets could use in Britain, I mean, even Northern Ireland, um, you know, in France and America, they could use them perfectly legitimately. Legitimately, they're fully licensed, but they're not licensed over here. And the vets wanting to give the best care they can for the horses take the chance, bring them in. Um, it's the wrong thing to do. And when they get caught, they get heavily punished. So is the John Warwick case something like that, which he seems to have admitted in as many words himself to the Racing Post already? Or is this something far spicier? How, does he have stuff that is uh, banned at all times, you know, steroids, for example, etc.? That's the key to this case. That's what's going to decide if it's, you know, a technical breach of medication rules or something that was a threat or is a threat to the integrity of Irish racing. And until we find out what exactly was found, um, we can't give full comment on it. I, I don't feel I certainly can't. And I know just to quickly wrap up, because I understand I'm rambling, but I know from case similar cases to this, and there has been a few in recent years, I looked them up prior to the podcast. And from the date of the raid to the date of the conclusion of the subsequent court case, you know, you're talking two and a half years. You know, it could be a long, long time before Two we find out. Years, yeah, oh, and, and that's that's the Irish law courts. That that's not just these type of cases. The wheels of justice move slowly. So while we're all really keen to find out what we're actually dealing with here, I fear that we're not going to actually find out any of the real details we want to know for a very long time. Which which is really worrying because as long as you leave these things hanging out in the air, it's a stink. It's a stink. It smells horrible. It, it, it looks horrible. And that's my main fear that that stench is going to stay there for quite some time before we find out if this was a, a you know, relatively innocuous thing or something much more concerned. Sure, we'd all be living on the moon by the time the test results are concluded, <laughs> if that's the case, if it's two and a half years. I guess the important thing, Tony, just to mention as well, that Ted Walsh is one of the trainers who um, arrived at this particular yard when uh, the Department of Agriculture and the police turned up um, to conduct their investigation. Uh, Ted Walsh has gone on the record yesterday on Irish television as saying he was there to have one of his horses um, scanned for laser treatment on a tendon issue, which... Um, this guy, John Warwick, seems to be an expert in. He has given an explanation. There have been other trainers who were asked about their association with this guy, John Warwick, in a newspaper article yesterday in the uh, Sunday Independent, who um, denied any knowledge uh, originally of uh, their horses being in contact with this guy, John Warwick, uh, which didn't make for, um, I guess, comfortable reading. But what's your sense of this overall, uh, TC? Um, I think it's a massive story, obviously. Um, one that's been been a bit underplayed so far, but... Yeah, well, it's got everything, hasn't it? I mean, when you're talking to the FBI picking up the phone to the Irish authorities saying, you know, there's a drug shipment coming in, keep your eye on it. And then obviously uh, from there, it, it just really unravels, isn't it? I've got loads of questions about this. I mean, obviously, John Warwick's now 74. He, cl he clearly has been in the game, you know, for, for, for decades. I mean, Ted Walsh um, apparently has known him for 25 plus years. And he's not a licensed veterinarian, is he? Uh, he's a, just an equine therapist and... He's making claims that he can magically, you know, transform horses within 10 minutes. So, and he talks about, if you go and have a look at the, the Paul Kimmage article in the Sunday Independent, which is, is massive on, on detail here. And there's some very worrying things there. He's talking about cocktails and stuff like that. Very emotive language sort of, you know, prick up many people's ears. But I think the, I think the, what really hit home to me is the Paul Kimmage, I mean, Kevin's right about the drugs. That's to be confirmed, and we don't know that. But the fact that the FBI are getting involved and these drugs were en route to Kuwait, which brings up another story, doesn't it? I mean, what made the Paul Kimmage article, all the trainers he got in touch with, he, you know, or, or not all of them, but the, the ones he's listed, he just said, you know, what do you know about this John Warwick guy? And if, and if he was like, you know, he's been around for ages, it's obviously very well known, I've, I've never heard about him. They should have said, yeah, I use him. Um, you know, this is he does this, 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 and this, even though he's not a vet. He, he's the best in the business. He's he's well used in Britain and Ireland. You know, he's we, we found out that you know he's treated like a snow fairy and the like. So, you know, if, if the trainers would come out and say, Yeah, I know him, I use him, uh, no problem. But a lot of the trainers said, Well, actually, uh, I've you know, I, if I have used him, I haven't used him for, for 10, 20 years. And 
And you know, if we get someone like Paul Kimmage ringing you up, you, you pretty much know he's he's coming at coming at you with a loaded gun, don't you? Because and then he says, "Oh, what what about the the horse box? You know, we we've seen there." And Paul Kimmage articulated a guy who apparently hired a private investigator to look into this stud and the activities going on there. Detected fifty eight horse boxes going in and out in a period of of a few months, and uh, so clearly very well used. And for trainers to turn around and say, "Well, no, I don't actually use him," but and then give them photographic proof of one of their horse boxes in there. It, it's clearly dynamite stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And I know a lot of the trainers in the racing post have come out and denied it, including the Coolmore Association, which is probably the most dynamite, uh, the you know, incendiary element to this as well. But they've come out, Richard Henry's come out with a you know robust defence there. You, you know, you make of that as what you will, whether you think it's as plausible as, as the claims against them. That's that's for you to make up, and that's for the authorities to investigate. But. It just it just has a very bad look when you've got trainers denying knowledge um, of an association, uh, and they are then given uh, you know photographic proof of what's been going on there. It, like I said, in all of this, there's a lot of questions to be answered, but trainers haven't done themselves a lot of favours here. Jesse Harrington came out and said, "Yeah, I use him. Yeah, no problem. Uh, drugs, I don't know anything about, but he treats my horse with tendon injuries. That's fine." But when you get other trainers coming out and say, yeah. no, never heard of it, it's, it's a really bad look. And Kimmage must have been delighted because it could be light on detail in some places, but those itemised phone conversations with your Aidan O'Brien's, with your Jesse Harrington's, with your Peter Farhees, with your Ender Bulger's, a matter of fact, it's very, very good journalism and they fell into a trap. Vanessa, given the, the sensitivity of this, you know, and, and I guess what's being implied here around the substances that... We're in the boot of the car from, of John Warwick. You know, what Kevin says here that this could take something like two and a half years to conclude. Surely, you know, it's in everyone's best interest that we have as much information out in the public domain as soon as possible to either back up the story or what's being alleged here or to refute it by saying, look, this is not what you might think to be. Surely time is of the essence here. Yeah, time is definitely of the essence because the longer this hangs around, the worse it seems, the worse it feels. I mean, if I'm being honest, like gut instinct, it feels pretty bloody bad right now. And as Tony says, that's backed up mainly because of the lies. People are telling lies. People only lie if they've done something wrong and people are lying. So the lad, the, the trainers that were listed in the Paul Kimmage article that said they didn't have anything to do with him and then were presented with the evidence of the photographs of their horse box at the yard, they're lying. And then either Warwick's lying about his association with Coolmore or Coolmore is lying. Now, I don't know who's lying, but one of them is because Coolmore had nothing to do with him for 20 years and maybe a pony went there or something. And, but your man in the Kimmage article, it is very, you know, it's clear as day for everyone to see Warwick saying, I work with Coolmore's yearlings regularly. I'm here every two weeks from April. I mean, Somebody somewhere is lying and it's the lying that right now absolutely stinks. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is it's not a case of like, you know, trying to brush this under the carpet. Now the carpet's been ripped off and everyone's looking at what's under the carpet. Mm. And we're all still in the dark at the moment because there's so many facts missing and there's so many unknowns, but literally there's a team of people, including the FBI, the Irish government and some private investigators that are, pretty close to switching on the light switch i feel and all of a sudden i just think i think this is a huge story yeah. i'm with tony i'm so surprised how it's not like you know i've got sky sports racing on right now i'm i'm surprised that it's not being discussed at length with regularity in all the racing media and the wider media too yeah. maybe that's a godsend at the moment but i'm very very surprised yeah. and just from a yeah, from a point going forward, like I cannot reiterate how important it is now for transparency. Like, for instance, for the wider racing public, you know, this discussion about these unlicensed remedies and then the treatment John Warwick does on tendons being you, you know, this laser treatment. Mm. If you work with horses, you can kind of believe some of the laser treatment chat because it's not necessarily um a treatment that vets would use, but you know, trainers can go down alternative medicine and roots you can believe that but just for the wider sort of racing fan and sporting fan that's not made clear right now you know Noel Mead was on luck on Sunday he's talking about go native in his own words 18 months bets worked on him and couldn't get him back to the race course he sends him to John Warwick and John Warwick gets him back to the race course 
Well, whilst the word drugs are being banded around and unlicensed <laughs> remedies, you know, it's not that far-fetched for the public to put two and two together there and think something dodgy is going on. I don't believe that to be the case because I think the laser treatment is different to the unlicensed remedies. But what I'm saying is somebody has to come out and really, really explain what the hell is going on right now, in my eyes. If, if you, you know, if you're a columnist, I mean, you'd just be all over this on Monday, wouldn't you? I mean, if you're giving a column, you'd go full blast at this. I mean, and then, you know, we just talked before we come on here about about the revelation in in this in this in the Times on on Sunday about a private investigator, the one that was mentioned in the Paul Kimmage article, according to the Times, was actually employed by British trainers to go and find out and stake out this stud to find out whether Irish trainers are actually kind of like got any association with drugs in their horses and what and what's going on there. I mean. Unless I'm unless I'm missing something, <laughs> You're not. that is that is absolutely <laughs> off the scale. British trainers who just got walloped, uh, 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 you know, at Cheltenham, and we'll come on to that in a minute. And we touched upon that in the show last year after Cheltenham about all the rumours and all the all the gossip that was going on around here about you know how, how the Irish did so well, um, unfounded as they may be, but they were swirling around massively here after Cheltenham. Most of them from you, to be fair to you. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, like, like, so, yeah. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta, you gotta fly the kite, you haven't you? you gotta fly the kite, but you have a situation. It's claimed on the front page of the of the Times yesterday that British trainers employed a private investigator to go and find out what Irish trains are doing. Now, yeah, okay. So, Kevin, I'll tell you what, what is a bit of a red flag to me here, and maybe you can. Uh, you can well this one. Hugh, there's more than a few. Hugh, there's more than a few red flags. It's like fucking bunting out there. <laughs> yeah, it is. Bunting. It is. And like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, what? what language. What I don't understand language. Is, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> hey, you can curse away. It's not a family show. My God, the TC you couldn't have it a family show. Come here, but Kevin. The FBI, right? The FBI is involved in this. Why would the FBI be involved in? a drugs tip-off for something that is permissible in their own jurisdiction and in most other jurisdictions in the world, but not. I, that doesn't really make sense to me why yeah. the FBI would be alerted to something here. And that's probably the most concerning thing about it, you in terms of the possibilities of what this could be, that detail, um, which was in the which was in the Times, that was David Walsh mentioned that, I think, um, because, of course, the, the bigger, the wider picture you have there is the FBI are currently stuck in the middle of like the biggest drug scandal in the history of racing once it plays oh, out in full. You know, or no, Jorge Navarro and uh, oh, Jason Service. Yeah, like yeah. that, that's gonna, that's a, a horrific case. And they have so many people caught there that are pleading guilty and singing like canaries and they're finding supply chains of all this stuff that was, that was involved in that case. And if they're ringing up the Department of Agriculture and saying, hey, buddy, there's a shipment of stuff that you really don't want in your country coming in there, you might keep an eye on it. You know, that's, that's a very big. Uh, mm. Insinuation, the possibility, and uh, like, and there's there's so many ways to go at this. And another one that, like, really, when I when I read the initial report, now that really leapt off the page to me, is that the Department of Agriculture and the guards went to Monster Evan, raided this yard, and it was underway an hour before they rang the IHRB to tell them mm. what they were doing. That says a lot of things. If you want to read that um, sympathetically for the IHRB, you could say, well, maybe the department viewed this as a veterinary issue, not a racing specific one. This is a yard that deals with all sorts of equestrian disciplines. That's the sympathetic reading of it. If you want to take a, a less sympathetic reading, you say the Department of Agriculture must have absolutely zero faith or and or trust in the IHRB to say that they didn't let them know that they were going in there. Yeah. Zero you know, faith, that, that, Kev, or, so or is cool. is the is the you know is there a reason they were kept were, out? Were, of the were, were they were they afraid that there might yeah. might have been a leak? I um, don't know. I mean, when I read that, I couldn't agree more. I was like, Ooh. Jesus, like it's it's embarrassing they weren't involved. It's absolutely Ooh. embarrassing. And so then you're thinking about why they weren't involved, and the, the question I boiled down to was, well, hang on a minute. Is there a reason here they weren't involved? And if there is a reason, then Jesus. I mean, the story, just when you think it couldn't get any worse, it does get worse. Yeah. And like just, just for for those people that aren't familiar, like look, I grew up on a farm, you know, agricultural background. The Department of Agriculture, their special investigations unit, they terrify people. 
Like this is not the IHRB going around sniffing here and sniffing there. These people terrify farmers. They terrify anyone that keeps animals, not because they're bad people, but because they're extremely thorough and they're very good at what they do. And you talk to any farmer in the country and their nightmare, even if they're not doing anything wrong, is a, is a department inspection because they're so thorough. And if they find a, a sachet of butte that doesn't have a prescription to match it or something that, that's mislabeled or not locked up properly, they're coming down on you. So the, like, that's... You know, this, the, irony this is, here, the irony here is that this is in the week where the IHRB were found to have pretty stringent anti-doping measures in place and were widely praised for, um, I guess, their anti-doping policies over the last a couple of years, um, albeit some recommendations were made, you know, which are, are well documented. So, um, you know, to give just to, to kind of swing it the other way, so we're not kind of piling here, um, that, that took place last Tuesday. On the same day, this raid happened in the Oof, earth. Incredible timing, incredible yeah. timing. Um, and look, the, the, the report endorsed the standards of testing in Ireland, which, you know, which isn't the, isn't the shock. You know, we've the same standard of testing in Ireland that we have in the UK, same lab. You know, they're all in internationally accredited labs. There's only a handful in the world, et cetera. That wasn't a shock in itself. They did make certain recommendations about the the, the makeup of the board and, and some of their protocol, like they suggested the first five home in every race should be tested, which if, if you're familiar with costings and that is completely unrealistic, but that's another matter for another day. Um, but like there's just an awful lot coming out of this and uh, just to briefly return to it like that revelation in the in the times about this potentially have been at least in part instigated by british trainers hiring private investigators to stake out a yard in ireland like that is incredible to me who would you like <laughs> you know? to play you in the movie of this film okay Kev, because oh. i see hollywood blockbuster written all over. <laughs> but like the one the one thing you have to clarify as well is that you know they would have done that very much in the knowledge of john warwick because john warwick is, is a scottish man based in britain you know yeah. he's there for the vast majority of his time he does a you know he's one of his his big calling cards is having treated snow fairy you know they, they, they know this guy they use this guy and if if the fullness of time reveals that this guy is, is a bad guy and was doing things he shouldn't have been doing like it would be completely naive and ill-advised to cast this as an Irish racing problem exactly because he, he's over there the whole time he's, he's like Noel Mead and his Irish trainer should be employing a, pri- a private investigator to send him up to Scotland to see what's happening up there isn't it it's, this is not this is not stuff this is this is a, a far wider story isn't it we, we we touched upon the us where john warwick had you know he spent some of his formative years by the sounds of it and that's where kimmage brings in you know the talk of cocktails to you know to perk horses up and uh, and the like i mean this is a huge story i mean like i say in all in all of this and it's got so many strands i actually do find the fact that if british trainers really did employ a private investigator to send him over to ireland to find out what's going on over there it's absolutely huge. It's an absolutely huge can, story. Can, and, I, say, and, but, uh, can I, mean, I ask? Yeah, sorry, TC. Go, yeah, go on, go on. It is a huge but, but, story. But, when you, but, when but, you, I tell you what, just to up for me, Kev, sorry, just quickly. And just I, maybe one of you can take this, right? Um, you know, the idea that uh, the juggernaut that is Ballydoyle or Coolmore would employ an unlicensed, unqualified therapist mm. to juice horses, um, you know, against what, uh, every legality and put their entire industry and the sport in jeopardy to some guy in a yard in Kildare to me seems absolutely bananas. I, yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine under any circumstances how anyone in Coolmore, Ballydore or anywhere else thinks, oh, you know, it's a good idea. Let's send our horses mm-hmm. down to this quack here who's unlicensed, who's not registered, you know, and, and let's let's send all our prize assets down to this guy. And, and that doesn't stack up to me. As it, yeah, but, but before, I let, before I let others kind of join in, but what I, what I will say is I, I totally agree with that. It just sounds totally implausible. But what I will say in the racing post today, Coolmore have come out and, you know, issued a rebuttal. I've seen firmer and more believable rebuttal to be perfectly honest with you. Now, who are us to say? We don't know what's gone on here. But what I do know is in the Paul Kimmage article, I mean, this guy talks about, you know, being in Ireland courtesy of Cornwall. Now you can read that. That could be a loyally way of saying that could be, that could mean anything. You know, that could be, he's funded them coming over. It doesn't mean he's worked with them. Well, well, one one, one thing also, Tony, is that at the end of the day, you know, 
we assume when you extrapolate this, you extrapolate the 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 the, the mention in the Times about that it was trainers that instigated the, the private investigator. You read the Kimmage piece, the guy that seemingly recorded the phone call with John Warwick, according to Kimmage, is the same guy that employed the private investigator. Yeah. So do we put two and two together and say the guy that recorded the conversation is, is a British trainer as well? You know, there, there's an awful lot to, to pick through. And just in terms of what, what John Warwick said to... Um, that trainer, we, we, we refer to it as that, whoever was recording that call, I suppose you have to bear in mind is that this is a guy that's probably trying to sell his services. And if you're trying to sell your services, there, you know, exaggeration on CVs is a, is a, is a pretty yeah. common thing. And, you know, I did is this and I did that. Is he trying to sell his services? He's a 74-year-old well, man the... established well, in the business. He's still working at 74. He clearly yeah, he do, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem with, what was it? 60, uh, 60 odd horse boxes going into his yard in three yeah, months. 50, it doesn't yeah. seem like he's short of work for starters. It's like a complete and, conveyor belt going and in there. Secondly, just on the point of those horse boxes, again, when you're listening to all the stuff, watching all the stuff, reading all the stuff on this, there's so many different strands that you can pick up on. And what surprises Tony might not surprise me or whatever. But uh, yeah. one of the things I was thinking is like the unbranded boxes, okay? I drive up and down Irish roads a lot. And I see more branded horse boxes than I see unbranded horse boxes. And that is a fact. And anybody driving around Ireland will know that, okay? For literally only six of them to be branded. I'm sorry, what? Wonder like when they say unbranded, did they mean and, didn't have a trainer's name on yeah, them? Like so could it exactly, have been a transporter's Kevin. brand? Yeah, you know? I want I want that clarified. I want of the let's say okay, fifty boxes unbrand unbranded. Let's say whatever the exact number is, it's somewhere up near that. Yeah. Of the fifty unbranded boxes, I want to know was it one box going to pick horses up and bring them back? That could be John Warwick's box, you know, that does a sort of horses or sort of taxi service. Is it the same number plate? There's so many things that as I go back to my original point right now, just like the key has to be transparency. And there are so many unanswered questions right now. It's just, it's that that's the killer at the moment until we know until we know the facts. Yeah, we mentioned two and a half years. Obviously, the IHRB actually took samples from, from you know, Ted Walsh's horse and uh, Liam Burke's horse as well. So presumably we're going to get some. Yeah, there'll be nothing on those though, Tony, because they, yeah. they test, those horses were, they were tested on arrival rather than departure, yeah. which, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think that was a tick box exercise. But right. like in terms in terms of will we get the will we get the answers we want anytime soon? I'd be shocked if we did, because cases like this, you know, like I say, there's been similar cases precedent set before. Like this will almost certainly, you know, go before the courts. And if it's going before the courts, those details aren't going to be disclosed before it goes to courts. And yeah. I, I wouldn't be holding my breath, unfortunately. It's, it's, it's a Jim Bean Bolger scenario all over again, isn't it? I mean, just more fuel. He, he makes the claims last October. You know, we're still 12, 13, 14 months down the line. We still don't know, you know, what he's referring to and stuff like that. I mean, you know, because he has refused to state it on the record, Tony, and that's important well, to state. He was, he was offered the opportunity to prepare before an Irish Oireachtas committee. He refused to do that. He has not gone on the record, uh, apart from, you know, whispered out the side of his mouth to a couple of journalists over the last year or so. But when he has been offered the chance to go on television, to, to back up his claims when he's been offered the chance to prepare before the Oireachtas Committee, he has not done so. So uh, that to me in and of itself is, is, is very frustrating and I imagine for everybody as well who's been kind of wiped with this brush is very frustrating. My, my first protocol here, and obviously we can go on for this for ages, my protocol here, ascertain whether it is true that British trainers collectively or individually or as a small group got together and paid a private investigator to go and do this. If that's the case, then my first portal call would be the National Trainers Federation. Is this true? And then go from there, because presumably they're in, they think they're in possession of some pretty meaty knowledge here. Yeah. Well, um, what's well, what's key? What's key here as well? And we're going to wrap it up because we do have. Um, there actually was horse racing at the weekend. Would you believe that? Nah, no, no, no. horse racing. <laughs> like, but I think you know the key to this is that the test results are made known as quickly and as efficiently yeah. as possible. And so that whatever happens, whatever is found, you know, and the fork in the road, if it is uh, doping material that's found, it's it, obviously the can of worms is just blown out of the table. Uh, but if it's not, you know, people need to know. And uh, I think speed and efficiency is, is absolutely key here. Um, all right, no we might as well talk about horse racing. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, right, Kev, horse racing. Go on, tell us, what's it like from the weekend there? 
damn, damn. <laughs> the Cheltenham was a bit underwhelming, I thought. Punchestown wasn't too bad, but yeah, sure, it's one of the biggest weekends, I suppose, pre-Christmas, probably fair to say. But yeah, it didn't it didn't set me alight wildly. Am I, am I in the minority there? Yeah. Uh, Quite actually, yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd agree with you, along with the old small field sizes and uh, a couple of a few uninspiring results. I think it wasn't quite the weekend. How did we, how did we how did we view the uh, remounting or non remounting uh, in the two runner race? How, how do we see that, lads? Storm in a, storm in a teacup. Storm in a teacup. You can see why. Like, and look, if. If um, the mayor had come, gin on line would come back lame, obviously there would have been a bit of a kerfuffle. But it, it, we, I saw some someone did a good, someone tweeted something quite that made me chuckle at the time. It was something along the lines of, "Why does horse re, horse race need enemies? Look at look at all the kerfuffle our friends cause." <laughs> um, yeah. Like Rachel Blackmore followed the rules. Look, if she had her time again, would she maybe have you know trotted the horse up and taken her time a bit more? She probably would have. But it's a lot to ask of anyone in the moment to be that sort of aware of the wider implications of what they're doing her mind was uh, I'm back up let's jump the fence to go win the race um, mm. thankfully the mayor was fine um, like oh god I haven't seen anything like it for a long time um, incredible stuff really um, but I think the rule is correct you know if you go down the road of if you want to bring in a rule to stop what happened there stop um, stop happening you write that rule because I wouldn't be able to write it you know, it's a very simple rule as it is. If your if your foot touches the ground, you're down. That's it. Um, and if you're saying you can't continue after a horrendous mistake, define what a horrendous mistake is. You know, kind of warm, kind of worms. I think the rule is right. It's once in a blue moon you'll get something like this happen. Um, and yeah, I think that that was that was my views on it. Yeah, uh, but that's oh. yeah. Go on. No, I was just going to say. I mean, to be honest, I I was there on Friday, and when I actually watched it live. I mean, my initial reaction was, oh, Jesus, that didn't look good. No. But, you know, that 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 was, if honestly, my initial reaction. But at the same time, I can completely understand why Rachel kicked on. She's in, you know, a competitive sporting moment and she's a jockey. She felt that he was, you know, the mayor was absolutely fine and she kicked on. It's literally a decision made in a matter of about a second and a half. I think it probably is. Um, and, you know, she sat so still on the horse to stay. I was actually talking to her afterwards and someone came over and said, oh, you know, how did you stay on? And she said, well, I just sat really still and the horse luckily stood up. You know, she obviously took those few strides to get going and then realised the horse was absolutely fine. So it drove on. But I do admit it didn't, it didn't look great. But like Kevin said, you open up a can of worms if you try to start and bring in a rule. You're going to have, you know, somebody, I don't even know how that would work, how to, how, how you, because that rule about, whether you can remount, you know, when they could remount, followed by foot touching the floor, shoulder touching the floor. That rule's been changed so many times. It's a, it's definitely a grey area, but luckily it's only an issue that's raised every once in a blue moon, hopefully. But there's so many ifs and buts because, of course, if the horse had fallen, if the horse was lame, but you know the old adage: if my aunt was my uncle, or yeah. whatever the, it yeah, is. I, I hate sitting. I hate sitting on the fence with this. With in fact, well. Because I'd probably break it if I did sit in any fence. <laughs> so I do see. Um, I'm more TC. Yeah, no, no. Um, I don't know. I don't know really. I can see both sides of the argument. Be honest with you. You know, for every collot of it, you're going to get a horse, and and obviously that was off. Uh, if very similar circumstances, that was off for a, a couple of years afterwards. But you know, like 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 uh, Vanessa and Kev said, framing a rule around that and mistakes. Okay, um, we do have some listener questions to get to, but I, I want to get you know just draw up the highlights from the weekend. Um, third time lucky, Vanessa. Any interest as an article proposition? I think eleven to one still unchanged after a pretty facile win. I don't know how much we learned. Uh, Revier to sell in Ireland was um, well, very impressive, really. Fourteen to one now from thirty threes. But either of those taking her fancy for the article or? Uh, Rebecca to tell. I mean, this whole you know she's getting so much weight and she had all the allowances and obviously it was a pretty impressive performance. But I don't really like her profile just in terms of the type of horse she is. That the hood, the grackle noseband. She's obviously a tricky ride. She doesn't like being told what to do. Uh, she's not for me. And she had all those weight allowances the other day. I know it was an impressive performance given all of that, but uh, I think all of those factors coming into play means that she's not for me when it comes to the arc anyway but look she could only do what she did on the day and she did it but she's going to have to dive into deeper waters than that and she doesn't look the most straightforward third time lucky I mean electric to watch isn't he great fun 
great mm. fun to watch a horse like him so exuberant sort of that heart in the mouth sort of stuff I love and of course Harry and his riding style suits third time lucky to a T um, I mean the fact of the matter is is wherever he goes from now until Cheltenham knowing the racing and the schedule and the planning uh, that will burn one day hey Kevin um, oh, yes. we all know that he's going to basically run in small field uncompetitive grade one races up until the Cheltenham Festival and then to be honest with you the Cheltenham Festival will be his acid test I can see him getting to Cheltenham unbeaten at the moment um, and his exuberance and if they let him fly around there again come March like we don't know not all the cards are out on the table at this point in terms of his opposition uh, look electric to watch but like I say I think I don't think we'll know a huge amount more about third time lucky in terms of what class level he can get to until the second week in March yeah, Nubin Egra did what he had to do in the Shore yesterday, Kevin, um, and he's 10 to 1 for the champion chase now, but I just I can't in any way have him factored in when you consider Shishkin's going to go there, Nergamine's going to go there, Shackenburstois. I mean, if even, you know, if even a couple of those line up there, Nubin Egra is so far down the pecking order, I mean, he should be double that price to me, but what, what do you think? Um, it, it was a good performance. You could say it was a career best, but like you say, if uh, if you got a champion chase field like we got last season, um, you know, with with Shaq on a bit below form, you could see, yeah, and we get champion chases like that occasionally, don't we? Yeah. But it just it just doesn't happen. And he'd win one of those, I think. But you know, would he win a champion chase if all those big guns get there firing at a full blast? I don't know. But look, he had a big day here. Um, well ridden by Harry in fairness and um, yeah, got the job done so that's uh, you know onwards he goes he'll have deeper I mean, waters to, to swim in after this that race kind of fell apart didn't it with you know put the kettle on not going a yard uh, Politolog I think well not not going a yard but you know what I mean uh, Politolog I don't think anyone's trying to tell us he's at his best still are they no. And so I think that race really, it's, it was great for him to have his day in the sun, but I'm not entirely sure he's a champion chase horse, like you say, if all those big guns show up. But how many times have we gone to a champion chase hoping that it's going to be the race of the festival yeah. and we get there and there's like one man standing type of thing? You know, it does happen a lot. So yeah. oh, I don't know, crazy. those two mile chasers. Um, if he shows up, I'm sure he'll put his best foot forward, but I think it was an easy win for him. And I, I, the Morgiana fell apart as well yesterday, TC. Uh, Sharjah yeah. did what he did, but he, you know, he beat uh, Zana here, who I think I'm just going to have to give up on now. I, yeah. I watched him yesterday. I was there at Punchestown. I, I, I was mad about him last year. He let me down at Cheltenham, but just in terms of never really travel the yards. And I just don't think he's actually that good now. I've changed my view on him. No. <laughs> well, the market corrected himself, didn't it? I mean, I know we had a couple of non-runners, but Sharjah was 72, 4-1 to when the betting first opened. And, and obviously he went off favourite as as the form book suggests he should. Echoes in rain, disappointed. And, you know, Sharjah, it's interesting that, you know, Willie said beforehand, or was it after, um, said, you know, he looked like uh, he looked like he was a mare in foal. He had such a belly on him. But so, yeah. and, and he has, although he won first time out last season, he has tended to need to, need a run going into going into his races. Um, but yeah, I mean, he did what he was entitled to do, isn't he? But again, it yeah. was a, he was a free runner race. And, yeah, but, but he doesn't get it. You know, he's one of these classic, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. He's been unlucky enough to be trying to give seven pounds to Epiton and Honeysuckle in the Champion Earls was the last two years as a finished second. So, um, yeah, I, I think having a look at the having a look at the the, the, the shape of the uh, Champion Earl at the moment with, with Honeysuckle heading the market, I think he's, you know, they're fully, in the, fully entitled to cut him from, to tens from, uh, from 20s. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Um, right. We'll kick on with the questions, guys, because we're kind of time is up against us here. Um, Vanessa, just so you know, um, we get about a thousand questions every week from our listeners to us. When we decipher out all the abuse, uh, there's about six left. So uh, <laughs> generally, terrific. I can't wait for the abuse when people see me on the show. You know, we'll have a thousand and fifty questions, a few more. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we'll get stuck in if we can. So Matt Crook says, for all the deserved uh, praise Rachel's getting for her sit the other day, wasn't a step too far asking. Um, Jen and Lyme to jump the last had she fallen again or suffered a fatal injury it would have been held to pay on the welfare front for not pulling her up I, I think we just kind of covered that Matt um, I guess it's it's all about perception really um, but she acted within the rules and until the rules as Kevin said are changed uh, I, I think she was perfectly within her rights to do that however um, unpleasant it might have looked to some um, Simon Knott says um, you notice have highlighted dubious looking rides on the all weather recently but they seem to go largely unnoticed by the stewards is that because the punter's outlook is influenced by their pocket or that racing professionals See, but would rather look the other way. TC, is that uh, fair? 
Stick. Well, he's, he's referencing, I, I tweeted about Lahore, who I, uh, yeah, I tipped yeah. up on the Racing Only Betting podcast about three weeks ago, and I wasn't, I wasn't particularly enamoured by the ride. And somebody else who tipped it actually uh, tweeted me on, on um, Friday in a direct message saying, oh, Lahore's out again tomorrow. Um, I wouldn't have even looked at Newcastle before that. And, but I went and looked at the race, and it just didn't look great again. And um, we haven't got the head on. That will tell us all. Uh, but, you know... We have to make decisions. We have to make decisions, and uh, on what we see, uh, I think the stewards could have put out a more fuller explanation about that because it, mm. you know, it didn't look great. But we haven't got the head on. We don't know if the horses were coming back to him. But on on a wider point, um, I don't care if you've had if you're pocket talking or if you had a bet in the race. Arguably, if you've had a bet in the race, and you don't think you've got a decent run for your money, then you have you have every right, maybe more right than to comment on that because. If we disillusion punters who think they're not getting a fair fair crack of the whip, uh, then you know we'll lose them eventually. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so but yeah, I, I highlighted the hall there, but I can give you any number of examples, turf and all weather, uh, about problems out there. And okay, Stewart's going to do their job. The yeah. BHA aren't addressing the situation. Anybody who punts on a regular basis know those kind of rides are a daily occurrence. And they very rarely get stamped out. And what really grinds my gears, as we touched upon on, on Friday, when the likes of Patrick Cowley riding 150 to one poke, you know, trying to get into fifth on a horse that's that's basically useless, they just say, "Oh, well, you didn't give him, you, you didn't give him a, a maximum effort there. His 42 days, go away. Just yeah. if you're going to do it, do it across the board, and then we'll see. Then we'll see some action. An extension yeah. of this, maybe uh, somewhat. Daryl Carter says, "Why do the post-racing media um, avoid asking serious questions about dubious rides, in which 90% can see? Isn't it best for all involved to get a race comment from said jockey after the race to clear up the issue, rather than just the boring winner interviews, no. for which we learn a little?" And um, Vanessa, is that oh. fair, Stick? Yeah, well, it, I, I read that one when these questions were sent through, and it's an interesting one because, you know, I, I'm an on-course reporter and uh, I'm told by the producer to do a winning interview. At Hexham the other day, there was a couple of quite dubious rides, as in just one lad just getting it just wrong, just not getting there on the line. It, it, on a on a backed favourite, it would have been a way more interesting interview and a way more interesting story for me to have interviewed him uh, as they came back in than the winner. But we're kind of quite set in our ways that we do a winner's interview, and that's just the way it is. And I read that, and it yeah, it definitely made for a sort of more interesting viewing and more insightful viewing to get words from jockeys who have just got it wrong. But it comes back to this sort of nature we seem to have in racing, which is often spoken about whereby, you know, criticism seems to be the worst thing in the world and no one can really take it. And, uh, you know, it's discussed at length that, you know, pundits would criticize footballers or rugby players or cricket players in other sporting areas. And yet in racing, it's like, if we're brave enough to criticize a jockey, it can all go very sort of peak on for us as uh on course reporter yeah. so you know it, it, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place i mean if 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 we were told at sky kick on like you know i want you know if my producer said i may go and interview the lad that just gave on a bad ride I, I would but uh it's not quite how we're driven over there and i don't think other outlets are either but it's no. a, it does raise an interesting question yeah, absolutely. Um, going behind says, at a time when racing is recovering from the pandemic, how can race courses justify the extortion of prices charged for food and drink? The fact that catering is often outsourced is no excuse for blatant profiteering. And an extension of that, Brad Maxley says, um, ideas on how to improve the race day experience for families at NACE recently. Good racing, but uh, little to do or see between races. Perhaps interviews over tannoys with jockeys or trainers, show and tell with horses for kids um, showing what's what. Unfortunately, watching TV is probably more... Informative, yeah. I, there are, Brad. There are. I know. Certainly in Ireland, I'm speaking from racecourse viewing here. There are kind of family friendly days. There are specific family friendly days, though that happened once or twice in the calendar. And I think it depends on what racecourse you go to as well. Uh, some are better than others, but um, I, I absolutely accept your point as well. And if you're trying to bring young people into racing as well, and um, like 40 minutes between uh, gaps for racing, unless you're going to have a few points, which kids obviously aren't doing, it is a long time for them to wait between. It would be good to, I guess, to factor that in. But it's it's all about a cost as well. Um, the issue about drinking as well and prices is something going behind that we've talked about several times and that's just I, I don't know what you can do about that like the prices are what they are um, outsourcing you know I don't know how much race courses themselves 
Um, when they're outsourcing the business vans, whatever that have, have, have a say in prices. But yeah, I, I totally take your point. Um, John Hawkins says, do you think horse racing would embrace the sort of TV show that lets you meet the people that make up the sport, something comparable to Netflix's drive to survive um, for F1 or Amazon's all or nothing? I mean, I, it, look, I think it would it's be... Happening. It's, it's happening. It's happening. Well, <laughs> it's not like a raving ex- exclusive yeah. there, but uh, right. it is It is very much in the pipeline. Yeah. Super. Right, uh, the European Tour are doing something similar for golf as well. Uh, the PGA yeah, very there. much in the pipeline as well. Someone and, mentioned um, Skelton's would be a good uh, a good case in point. Don't know if uh, that's, uh, I don't know if that's... Uh, yeah, well, uh, the uh, team behind the new Dottori film and another separate team have sort of latched onto the bit with the, an idea of a sort of horse racing version of Drive to Survive, basically. Can't say a lot more at this stage, but it is definitely being pitched to various outlets. And when I have more news on it, I will let you know. Super, brilliant. Um, Gilmore says, love to hear more from Kevin Blake and how racing could, should be attracting more people like me. 29, have a mortgage to pay, toddler to feed, uh, go to the races infrequently, reasonable disposable income. How does racing get my attention? Look, this is a, a big one, Gilmore. And look, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna fluff you off here, but I, I think maybe it's something that we can come back to, um, at a later date because it's, 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 it's. Uh, if you don't have a short answer in this one, um, you know, how do no. you get people, more people interested? Like, it just, yeah, yeah. My, look, my thought would be, and I know what he's picking up on there, a comment I made a couple of weeks ago. Like, my thought is not even another couple of steps down the lifeline than that, because uh, as mentioned, as he outlined there, you know, that stage of your life, you do have a lot going on, but it's when things settle down a little bit more, a little bit more disposable income, a little bit more time. Um, yeah, that that's the the demographic I feel that we could do a lot more to target rather than you know teenagers and and people in their early twenties, which yeah. um are, are you know very tricky to capture. I think it's fair to say. Okay, um, John and Jason Jackson both uh, a kind of similar vein of question. What can be done to to halt this decline in the national home game to Cheltenham being the only show in town? And Jackson says, obviously you'll be addressing the small fields and program, etc. Is there a way we can scrap novice chases and replace them with graduation chases? A way to only run at the festival if you run a certain amount of times or have a certain rating, add or remove prize money based on field size. Is that realistic? The idea of, you know, making these novice chases handicaps is probably a good one, but we've had We've had a couple recently where they've been handicaps and they've 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 attracted two or three runners as well. So, mm. it, if you want to get really down and dirty and quite brutal, you, you'd have a look at the five day stage. If you don't hit a certain level at the five day stage, a number of entries, then you uh, then you can bin them. But okay. that would be a bit extreme, wouldn't it? Rob Bain says, "Do you feel the second last fence at Cheltenham needs moving again or just taking out?" So novices Harry Skelton seem to have real problems with it. Is that an issue? The second last fence? No, but I think there's I think there's another question about you know a lot of horses slipping on landing there. So whether or not they're watering, especially there. Some tracks have, have, have had similar problems. I think we had a question about Huntingdon a couple of weeks ago as well. So I'm not yeah. sure whether that's a, a created issue or just coincidence. I'm I'm not sure. Tony Abo says our novice chases are short on numbers as connections don't want to be handicapped after finishing four lengths behind highly rated sorts. If so, why not allow their first run of offences? To be exempt from handicapping. No, I think I think that's I think they've always legislated for that. If if in novice chases, if you finish very close up to a high rated horse, I don't think the handicapper can take that into account. Um, yeah, and you can go straight into handicaps to the UK anyway. Yeah. yeah. Turf Analytics says, why do trainers start novice chases out at Cheltenham instead of building them up gradually? That's if where that, everybody wants to be, isn't it? I tell you, that's an inter- that's an interesting one yeah. there because Nicky Henderson always says that he he ideally he wouldn't he wouldn't start horses up at, uh, at Cheltenham. Kev, before you say, uh, I know you say he doesn't want to like to start him off anywhere, but <laughs> um, but yeah, it's Nick Henderson always says that he doesn't like starting off novice chases at Cheltenham first time up, but obviously a lot of others beg to differ. Well, yeah, just just because it's potentially a stiffer challenge than some other uh, tracks around the country, it doesn't mean it's not a good place to start a horse off. If you've got an excellent jumper, if you've got a good traveller, if you've got a horse that likes Cheltenham, whatever it might be, it doesn't make it a bad place to start a horse. It's not a dangerous or bad place. It's it's just a different test. And so what, yeah. why why wouldn't they be starting and out there? Sure, in this day and age, most of these horses are jumping fences when they're three years of age anyway. Like, yeah. you know, kick on. We mollycoddle these horses nowadays. The game has changed. Yeah. They we're still treating them like they're they're big backward you know un- unbroken until they're four and a half jobbies when they couldn't be any more different nowadays last couple of minutes guys so we'll try and keep the answers uh, as brief as we can um, and Elliot Moran talking about the spoils of stumbles at the last two fences in Cheltenham I hope we, uh, we touched on it there Elliot Milo Brett says for all the talk about the state of the national hunt 
British racing is in, and it is how shit is the Morgiana, and more to the point, who's actually missing? Not many, really. Yeah, well, look, there was uh, Abercadabras was a non runner yesterday. There's another couple. Um, yeah, the hurdle division's awful. It's got yeah, no depth. Both not, sides to, of the to answer his question, how shit on a scale of one to ten, nine out of ten shit. <laughs> nine out of ten. Nine and a half out of ten shit. <laughs> Especially <laughs> if you back echoes of rain and exactly, even money exactly. before the non runners came out. Oh, they <laughs> got what you deserved. Champion hurdle me. <laughs> anyway, right. Uh, Steve McGinnis says, one for Kevin, maybe quite niche, but the Morgiana is a bit early on in the season. The John Jerkin Chase too, uh, too close to the Cheltenham Festival. Would Punchestown be better combining these into one weekend? Yeah, it's been talked about before. I, I could absolutely see the sense in it. And we've had great results in Ireland with combining meetings in that fashion. So I, I'd have nothing against it at all. And it has been suggested before. Okay, good stuff. Ag says... Um, Kev has talked about ripping with the calendar and starting again. Has he any specific races meetings he would start with removing to improve the quality of the fields? <laughs> we'll have an hour oh, on that right. next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, okay. no, you just get, you just bring the petrol, <laughs> put on the program, light yeah. it on fire, and I'll go to work after that, all right? Just burn bonfire. the thing and leave me to it. We'll have a bonfire. Right, Dave Rich says, with all the all weather meetings oversubscribed at this time of year, does it really make any sense to have no racing from Sunday to Friday this week on the all weather at a time when jumps fields are notoriously low? PC, you want to see the all weather back? Yeah, I want to see more right. I want to see more questionable rides uh, in the early part of the week. Uh, yeah. Yeah, look, I, it, it makes total sense if they're oversubscribed, and we've only got two meetings on a Monday today. But um, yeah, I can see the point. But all weather doesn't really float my boat. Yeah, some amount of donkeys floating around on dark at the moment. I can tell you, my <laughs> God Almighty, Brendan Flaherty, Kevin's thoughts on the latest stud fees announced. Uh, any surprises? Up and coming stars. Um, um, yeah, look, no surprise. I think they're getting quite hardy again. You know, I think that the, the submasters are smelling blood. I think I'm walking around the fall sales here for the last couple of days. There's great uh, vibe about the place. Um, loads of money in the game at the minute. I think the, the stud men have uh, have taken advantage with their fees, if you ask yeah. me. Is, is, have you seen John Warwick doing the rounds, Kev? Um, no, no, I'd, I'd ask him for a cup of coffee if I see him. Yeah. People have people have money to burn, which is why there's a queue outside Kev's car now, a mile long for him. <laughs> <laughs> to be sold off and Ascot hold a double racing festival style Christmas meeting to try and encourage better quality fields and encourage better battles. Uh, Kevin's gone, his battery's dead. Uh, we'll fly through uh, the last couple. Yeah, TC. they're uh, they're obviously different racecourse groups own different tracks, and Ascot's independent. And they're not going to give up anything, and nor are Jockey Club racecourses. So, in principle, good idea. In practice, not happening. Okay, um, Gavin Cockburn says, uh, "What's uh, your view on Dan Skelton's attempt to bring more of the behind-the-scenes information to punters with his YouTube videos? Good for transparency, or?" And should other yards follow suit? Less? Is that a good thing when trainers are? I, I have to say, I think it's. I think anything that's um, you know gives more information to the public is to be welcomed, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you can look at that in any other way other than forward thinking and on the front foot. And that's where racing needs to be right now. So I applaud him more to follow, please. But I doubt they will. <laughs> yeah, less cloak and daggers and whispers, please. And more transparency. Ollie Fallon says last minute withdrawals in eight runner races, reducing place terms happens daily. Any insight? I think well, it just happens daily, Ollie. You know, it's, it's they, uh, they will deny it, but there used to be a um, there used to be a department in a certain big bookmakers that used to deal with that, going back tens and twenty and thirty years. Because um, and I know two people senior in racing production that actually worked in that department. So everyone will deny it happened, but it did used to happen. Okay, and last question, JP Constant. Why has Nichols or anyone else from that yard ironed out? <laughs> 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 very good question JP very good yeah. question I'll tell you what I, I tell you, I wouldn't even like to get a right hander off the 80 year old uh, Brian Nichols either but he might have something no. to say when he saw him <laughs> absolutely lads it's Betfair Chase week um, so obviously this weekend we're going to be talking about this on Racing Only Better on Friday Ruby Walsh is going to join us to give us his insights as well for the first time uh, which we're very much looking forward to uh, 13 to 8 at Plutard 3 to 1 Bristol Mai, the old specialist around Haydock next destination 5 to 1 uh, Royal Pagai is interesting as well. TC, we'll talk about this on Friday. Yeah, um, I'll probably be doing anti. Well, I will be doing an anti-post piece uh, on that on betting.betfair on Tuesday. I'll probably do it starting off today and get some ground ground uh, updates, etc., and running plans. Yeah. But yeah, uh, looks a decent race. Royal Pagai is uh, the interesting one last year. Came back uh, yeah. injured after Cheltenham, and uh, he looked very, very good before that. So he could be an interesting one at nine to two, uh, eleven to two. Nice. But. Native River in there. I thought he was a goner. I didn't know where he'd gone to. I thought that was a mistake. He'd want some rain. He wants yeah. some rain. Yeah, yeah along with half was. the field, I think, yeah. want a bit yeah. of rain. But a Plutard, yeah. I, I'm I'm excited to follow him this year. Gold Cup yeah. horse for me. 
Yeah, I'm with you all the way. Um, back from last year, absolutely broke my heart. But sure, anyway, there you go. Vanessa, it's been an absolute pleasure. And um, thank you so much for the time. Um, I'm obviously going forward for the next couple of months. Really looking forward um, to having you on the show. Hope you enjoyed it. I really Thank did. Thanks very much, Tony. Thanks Excellent. for being. No. Thanks for being good to me. You know. Excellent. No, it's a pleasure. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> it's all down here from here, Vanessa. Don't worry. Ease you in gently. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, okay. Have a great week. We'll talk to you on Friday. Race the only better. Ruby Walsh on the show. I'm looking forward to that. Have a good week. <laughs>